Buenos dias. Thank you for joining us for Bienvenidos, a CBA DBA limited series podcast celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. A term that, as you will hear, can be both celebratory and controversial, as well as inclusive yet isolating. Join Annie Martinez, the current second vice president of the Denver Bar Association and past president of the Colorado Hispanic Bar Association, as she explores the backgrounds and careers of some of Colorado's inspirational Hispanic and Latin lawyers. Hola, mi gente. It's Anamari Martinez, or as you may know me, Annie Martinez. I have the honor of serving as your current DBA second vice president, as well as the distinct pleasure of coordinating our Hispanic Heritage Month programming for the CBA and DBA. To give you a little bit of background on myself before we move forward, I've been living in Colorado since 2014. I grew up in a town called Hialeah, Florida, which is a Cuban enclave in Miami. My parents are Cuban. My mom came in the early 70s, and my dad is what we affectionately call a Marielito. He was ordered out of the island in 1980 on the Mariel boat lift. I currently work in child welfare and domestic relations in the metro area and have been in solo practice since 2018. Now that that's out of the way, let's cover our plans for the month. We've really got a fun mix of programming, highlighting Hispanics across the state in our weekly newsletter, The Loop, some fun mixtapes coordinated between myself and Ty Glover, highlighting music from the Caribbean to South America, and a fun end-of-the-month celebration. But perhaps my most favorite part of our programming are these podcasts that will be airing weekly, uh, speaking with different members of the Hispanic community on a variety of topics. And today's session is our very first. And so we'll be discussing Hispanic Heritage Month in terms of what it is, who is a Hispanic, as well as having a conversation with Carlos Romo. Carlos is the president-elect of the Colorado Hispanic Bars Association and will be serving as president in 2022. And so welcome to the studio, Carlos. Hi, Carlos. How are you? Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me. Hey. So um, I'm not sure a lot of people know you, actually. I, <laughs> I know you, right? I know that we're friends and we've served on the board together for a while. And I even remember pushing you to <laughs> run for president. And um, but I know that you've been in Colorado, you know, for a few years now. Why don't you give us a little bit, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What's your upbringing like and what brought you to Colorado? Sure. No, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, realistically, I have only been here about four years, so it's true that a lot of uh, native Colorado CHBA folks don't know me that well. Um, I came from Texas. Uh, my family is from Texas. Both my parents were born in Texas, and uh, so I'm Tejano. <laughs> and um, but my dad's family is originally from Mexico, northern Mexico, a little town called Musquis near uh, Del Rio. And so um, I've got the Hispanic heritage from my dad's side and the Cajun heritage from my mom's side. My mom uh, grew up in Louisiana, and so I have oh, a little cool. bit of that Cajun Mexican thing going on and uh, definitely influences my cooking as much as anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you know, I started, uh, went off to California for undergrad and uh, went to Stanford undergrad and then uh, went to UT Law in Austin and uh, spent the first 10 years of my legal career practicing in Texas. And then decided to uh, reconnect with my high school sweetheart, um, who was also from Austin, Texas. And she and I, Jessica, uh, some folks have met at DBA and uh, CBA, CHBA (laughs) events. So she's always uh, willing to come to CHBA events. awesome. So much fun. (laughs) She loves the uh, Latino culture as much as I do. So uh, that's one of the reasons uh, we got married and reconnected. But um, we, we reconnected in 2015, and she was actually living here in Boulder, in Boulder, Colorado, after doing her residency in Colorado. 
So after reconnecting, uh, I knew that it, when we got engaged in 2016, I wanted to move out to Colorado. And uh, so I looked up some of the folks that I had practiced with. Actually, as a 1L in law school, I clerked for Fagri and Benson at the time. Oh, wow. And uh, so I knew a couple of people mm-hmm. and reached out to them. And uh, Zeke Williams in particular was one of the, the few folks I knew in Colorado <laughs> and was interested in, in coming out to Colorado and, and starting work here and sure enough a couple of months later I got a job and uh, started in February 2017. I, I like to tell folks sometimes that I attended the CHBA banquet in Colorado before I was even located in Colorado. <laughs> it was like one of my first uh, you know communities if you will and uh, it was always a very welcoming community. Uh, Winter Torres actually was at my current law firm uh, Williams Weiss Peppel and Ferguson. Uh, when I started and she was on the board at CHBA and so she invited me to attend the CHBA banquet in January of 2017 and so I was able to come to the CHBA banquet the annual banquet which was a lot of fun and uh, do the after party and the dancing and everything (laughs) and hang out with everyone before I even was actually located and in Colorado so um, so that was a really neat experience and then all along CHBA has just been a great community really welcoming Uh, you know I think a lot of legal attorneys know some communities can feel kind of insular or you know mm-hmm. hard to break into and Colorado's just been really welcoming to me in general in terms of coming from Texas and um and CHBA in particular you know inviting me onto the board first I think Catherine Starnella was the president mm-hmm. who invited me on as the chair of public policy and was doing a lot of work on census redistricting issues and um I think you and John and others were really pushing to, for me to keep <laughs> keep up with the organization, and yeah. I really en- enjoyed the organization. So I said, of course, signed on to be the president for next year. Well, we weren't going to let you run away. Once <laughs> 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 we find talent, we try to keep moving you up the ranks as much as possible, that's for sure. Well, it's true. I've heard some people, I think Adam Espinosa, Judge Espinosa, has referred to it as a leadership machine. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just CHBA is a great grooming opportunity for a lot of young Hispanic lawyers in the state. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, my presidency will just continue to increase that pipeline of great Hispanic young leaders and try to get them into the next level of leadership. That's awesome. So that's actually a really great segue into, you know, so you're serving as president-elect now, um, but you'll be president next year. Like what are kind of some of the, the big picture items that you're really looking at for your presidency next year? Yeah, I mean, the past few presidents, including you, have done such a great job of kind of creating these kind of legacy items that I think everyone needs to continue with. Things like increasing the diversity in Latinos on the judicial you know, you know openings and mm-hmm. uh, candidates for judicial officers. I think that's a huge priority that every president should continue to push, just, mm-hmm. you know, until we have, you know, equality within the ranks of uh, judicial officers in Colorado. Um, One of my priorities, I think, is going to be education. You know, we were talking before we got online about, you know, the pipeline and Mm -hmm. law school, yes, we can, and other programs that are trying to get increased diversity within the law schools. So I think that's really important to get, you know, the message out to younger folks and not just college, but also high school. And just, you know, I think uh, Judge Espinosa, again, has his dream team and other folks that are out there in the Mm -hmm. community and just doing what we can to promote those kind of opportunities and, you know, have younger Latinos see mentors that are doing what they're doing and try to follow in those footsteps. But, you know, that was always something that kind of inspired me a little bit is being able to see 
you know, Hispanics doing great things in Texas mm-hmm. and some of my parents' friends were lawyers and seeing that kind of opportunity and you know, doing what they do and <laughs> having mentors like that really inspired me to go to law school. So I think it's the same way that, you know, if we can get some of those talented folks that maybe are on the fence or maybe not sure what a legal career could look like, mm-hmm. trying to motivate them to think about it in terms of the, the tool that it could offer in terms of the, the power and the ability to do a lot of different things with, with a JD degree. So... I agree. I, I definitely see the having this degree as like a an honor and like a, an obligation to use it for betterment for our community in whatever way it can be, whether it be directly in your practice or whether it be stuff like this through the bar, um, working and giving back to the community. And I think that that's um, a really a unifying thing amongst Hispanics is always giving back and, you know, caring about family and having a very broad definition of family. Right. We have our Chaba family. That's what we call it. Um, And so I think that really ties in into part of one of the uh, unique identifiers that is common amongst being, you know, Hispanic or Latino is is having family and giving back and making and having that as like a a priority. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And the other thing is just, you know, I think a lot of people just don't know what you can do with a law degree and how Mm -hmm. you can give back. And, you know, whether it's pro bono, whether it's working in, you know, noble private family services, like child welfare services, like you do, you know, there's just so many different ways that you can give back via the law. And so I think inspiring others and motivating others to do that is, is key. Like even me, when I look back at it, like I remember, some conversations right after graduating in undergrad with my mm-hmm. dad and my dad was encouraging me to go to law school. And I was like, I don't want to shuffle paper all day. You know? I don't want to just like be a <laughs> yeah. sit at the desk kind of, and mm-hmm. I was, I was very interested in policy and, you know, politics less in the kind of running for office kind of way, but more in the kind of, you know, helping and shaping others and via policy yeah. and law and, and, and kind of, you know, those kinds of things. And, um, and so, like, I kind of did a career early on in public policy and worked for kind of a research and advocacy center. And it was cool. it was only until a judge, Scott McCown, became an executive director of that policy center. And he was the one that really encouraged me to go to law school and kind of encouraged me, you know, what, what all the different things you can do with the law. You mm-hmm. can do policy. You can do pro bono. You can do, um, you know, services for, you know, challenging laws that are inequitable or mm-hmm. you know, justice, you know, social justice issues and those kinds of things. And, and so that's really what motivated me is having a mentor like that kind of nudging me and pushing me. So hopefully we can kind of populate the world in Colorado with, with a few more Chaba mentors and family mm-hmm. members that are out there, you know, increasing the Chaba family. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I love that. That's so cool. That's a really cool background. I didn't realize you had worked in policy before. I mean, I knew you had that background because that's one of the reasons why you served as public policy chair first on the board. I didn't know that that's part of where it came from. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's, it's still kind of a big part of my practice. I'm a natural resources lawyer and a lot of what I do is kind of environmental energy policy. Mm -hmm. It's broader than just, you know, a contract, you know, between entities or litigation between entities. Um, so we, we work on a lot of rulemakings, a lot of administrative law, a lot of, um, you know, federal lands law. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the opportunity this last semester to teach at CU and taught federal lands and policy and resources law. That's and that's awesome. just the kind of stuff that, you know, the broader policy objectives of what we're trying to accomplish has always been something that has interested me as opposed to just the kind of, you know, one-off clients or mm-hmm. cases or, or whatnot. That's so cool. That's really awesome. I, that's a really great opportunity I've had to be able to teach. I'm a little jealous. I hope to teach one day. 
<laughs> yeah, we're always looking for, I'm sure schools are always looking for folks that are practitioners, you know, mm -hmm. the, the adjunct faculty world, which I felt like I had a, enough years under my belt where yeah. I actually could speak with some authority in terms of how things are done. Yeah. And it was fun. It was, uh, I had guest lectured a few times at DU and CU mm -hmm. in various classes, uh, administrative laws being one, but um, having the control over your class and being able to bring in, you know, case studies and different things yeah. that kind of are, you know, fresh out of the news, those kinds of things, like getting the class talking about like what's passionate, yeah. what they're passionate about and having good conversations about that kind of stuff. I thought, I thought it was really fun. It was a lot of work, but it was a lot, <laughs> it was a lot of fun <laughs> yeah, I bet, too. I bet it's a lot of work. <laughs> um, so in terms of, uh, what we're doing for Hispanic Heritage Month this year, what are the kind of things that CHBA has planned? Yeah, we, we're trying to get together various times over the next month. You know, Hispanic Heritage Month is obviously starts in the middle of the month, September 15th <laughs> to October 15th. Um, so we've got, you know, kick things off on Wednesday, September 15th. We're going to do a, an event at Raices, mm -hmm. which is a brewery down by Mile High Station, um, which is just a great community center. They've been really a, a great community partner with CHBA. They started by some Latinos and mm -hmm. they want it to be um, a place where you know, not just CHBA members, but, you know, the whole Latino community can get together and, um, they're just, it's a great, it's a great spot. It's a really nice yeah. brewery. So yeah. we're going to do an event there. We've had a, um, mixer a few months ago that was, you know, great, well attended by a variety mm -hmm. of the diversity orgs and spots co-sponsored by pretty much all the diversity yeah. orgs. And, uh, I thought that was a great event. Just felt, you could feel the energy and kind of the pent up demand for like in-person <laughs> gatherings yeah, yeah everybody for fostering community yeah just like every you know a lot of people were there and just anxious i think to to see one another again face yeah. to face and you know sometimes you see people on zoom and you don't you don't make the connection when you see them in person for the first time in a while yeah. um that, that, that happened to me with one judge <laughs> she'll remember but uh <laughs> I had that happen to me at the um, an El Hardin event that we had. What was it last month? Uh, I totally walked past someone, and then they were like, "Annie!" I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." <laughs> I was like, "I didn't see you with a, a square around your, you know, head and only up to the shoulders. I didn't, I did not recognize you. Sorry." <laughs> and it happened, and I was like, "That's embarrassing. I don't know how to socialize anymore. It's like I became feral. <laughs> we need right. to need to go out and mingle a little more again." So the 15th will definitely be a ton of fun. Raices is a great uh, venue, and like you said, they really do. It's a great. Um, organization a great business and they really do prioritize being like a hub for the hispanic community in the metro area and i guess the greater area but you know primarily metro and they they do a great job of working with a bunch of organizations having fundraisers for all different kinds of groups and really just being a physical place that we can go and congregate at and as a community and it's and the beer's great so you know there's like you really can't complain they always have some good food trucks too um, some of my favorite food trucks, like the Puerto Rican food truck goes there, I think like once a week. And I'm always so happy about it. Cause even though I'm Cuban, I can cook Cuban food, but I can't cook Puerto Rican food and access to Puerto Rican food in Colorado is just about as dire as access to Cuban food <laughs> is in Colorado. So when I can find that food truck, I'm there. So. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. A lot of Texas food items that I miss in Colorado, as much as the, there are, Latino influences, including mm -hmm. a lot of Mexicans here. It just feels a little bit different from Texas and the food I grew up with. My, my grandparents were actually 
owners of a Mexican restaurant south of San Antonio for about 25 years. Oh, wow. So, uh, I've, those are some of the moments that I cherish a lot with uh, my grandmother, uh, just kind of learning to cook from her. And, uh, you know, just in the, even in the last five or 10 years of her life, she, she lived mm-hmm. until she was about 85. I still remember making arroz con her, you know, mm-hmm. with her and just like she'd do a big tamalada every year. Yeah. And so now like in here, even though there are tamales in Colorado, I feel like I kind of have to make them myself because yep. if, if I want them done the way that like my family yeah. did them. <laughs> yeah, if you want your version. Yeah. And that's so funny. Tamales are actually a really great example because I feel like it is something that I'll most Latin American countries do, and they all do it so differently. Yeah, like it's, totally. all, it's one of those, you know, it kind of goes even to dovetail into our conversation about the word Hispanic versus Latino and Hispanic Heritage Month. It's um, it's funny how we we try to put us in a box because it's easier that way. Right. And we use the word Hispanic because that's the easiest way to do it. And kind of that's what the government gave us to work with. <laughs> and we don't really have a choice there. But um we're not a monolith in that sense. And there's so many differences. And even to your point where you have a rich cultural heritage of, you know, Latino and maybe even specifically Mexican in both Texas and Colorado, how differently it plays out just in like, I think people fight about chili. I don't eat chili, so I don't know nothing about no green chili, red chili. I don't know none. It's all too hot for me. Again, this is another shocker. Whenever I tell people Cuban food isn't spicy and they're, head explodes <laughs> and I'm like yeah it's the Caribbean's different that's true that's true <laughs> different Caribbean different spices <laughs> no I totally feel you there it's uh even going off to the undergrad in California that you know, there was a much bigger like kind of La Raza Chicano movement mm-hmm. than what I was used to in Texas and uh getting accustomed to that was kind of new and um so it, it, you know different communities in different places I think is uh it's it's a cool part of being Hispanic because it's just yeah. a, it's a, there's a variety there. And it's always nice to kind of get in the different milieus, right? Like growing up in Texas and being surrounded in it that way, I'm sure is different than like you just said in California. And how, but you can you can be fluid with it. I guess that's you know the fun part. Like you're saying, it's, there's a lot of fluidity there because there's enough to anchor. Yeah, there's enough connection to keep an anchor where. You know, you can be fluid with it. I may not eat chili, but I eat other things that I've learned to eat out here in Colorado (laughs) that I never would have had back home in Hialeah. And I have also introduced friends out here to Cuban food and do stuff like that. And it's always fun to 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 highlight those differences, but with like that common anchor, that common root that still kind of connects all of us it's really fun and food is one of the best ways to do it right (laughs) for sure that's definitely my favorite of uh food and music i think are one of my two things with the hispanic culture and being mexican in particular you know mariachis and Mm -hmm. trios and you know having good mexican food and trying to cook mexican food for my family pass on some of the recipes from my family uh down onto my younger kids and mm-hmm. my uh daughter right now chloe's really into bunuelos oh, that's so, <laughs> so she's she's like making bunuelos at night that's at like two awesome. in the morning on her own <laughs> you know we're, we'll smell something upstairs at two in the morning and then it's like sure now she's making fresh hot bunuelos i don't know how to do that kind of stuff i'm yeah. very much a a meat person almost everything i cook is some type of meat <laughs> But music too is, you know, I um, 
it's funny because growing up, my dad always sang a lot of mariachi in the living room, always had it playing at least. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we would, uh, I remember at my wedding and stuff, we would sing mariachi songs together. And um, when I went off to learn Spanish, because I didn't really learn it in in Casa, I went and learned it in Mexico and then spent a year in Uruguay. So really that's where I learned Spanish as a Fulbright scholar in Uruguay after college. But um the you know going and being able to sing the lyrics and understand and uh you know so now we'll go down and we'll find the mariachi band at the mm-hmm. local restaurant in mexico when we go and you know we'll That's sing so cool. we'll sing songs together and stuff so mariachi is a little newer to me i definitely grew up with um with salsa in mm-hmm. our household that was a big and salsa and merengue celia cruz all the time um hector Lavo is a big one um that was what we grew up with but my family also they had this weird, and I, maybe it wasn't like this for you. Everybody's a little different, but a little until we moved to Hialeah from Chicago, there was like a little bit of that chip on their shoulder of wanting to be a little more Americanized. Mm-hmm. And so we also listened to like Queen and stuff like that. <laughs> my dad, lo- my dad loves Queen. Yeah. <laughs> but when we got to to Hialeah, which was so predominantly Cuban, I mean, this is a spot where billboards are in Spanish. You go to the government office the default is Spanish before they speak to you in English. So um, it felt like we were able to embrace our culture a little bit more. And I grew up kind of really lucky, I think. Uh, I didn't have some of that exposure that some of our community members may have had of being, feeling othered by being Hispanic. I didn't really have that till college because I, (laughs) I lived, that's what we were. We were the predominant group. We were the majority. So that was, I feel like kind of a cool experience that, I wouldn't have had had my family not made that sacrifice to leave Chicago and go to Miami, where we were the majority. But then coming out here was a big culture shock because I would meet someone and I would start speaking in Spanish. And they're like, oh, I don't speak Spanish. I apologize. (laughs) And I'm like, I am so sorry for assuming that's so rude. But that is the default. You know, someone with a Hispanic last name, I'm assuming they're speaking Spanish. And (laughs) it's not a safe assumption to make probably outside of Miami, honestly. <laughs> well, you know, in Texas, most people do speak Spanish in a mm-hmm. lot of spots, but there is a, there's a huge community of Tejanos, yeah. you know, they're kind of the blends of the Texas Mexicans, mm-hmm. which, you know, has been going on for a couple hundred years. And yeah. there's definitely uh, a fair amount of us, I think, that don't grow up speaking Spanish. But you, you hear some words, you know, chanclas yeah. here, there, yeah. you know, some <laughs> random thing that, you know, you remember growing up with. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I it was a big thing for me to want to learn Spanish and to, yeah. you know, make the commitment. And, um, so going, spend it, spend a lot of time, you know, it was my lowest grade in college. Like <laughs> me and my wife uh, had the lowest grade in Spanish together. And, uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, the accent marks always got me, oh. you know, like writing and reading, but you know, enough time, I, I really wanted to do it and learn yeah. it. And so I spent you know, a few extra years to try to learn it, but it was worth it in the end just to to finally get it now i don't practice enough to really keep up with it yeah. but, but whenever i you know travel we we go to a lot of spanish-speaking countries now just to kind of keep up with it and um, that's awesome it's always fun to be able to speak you know when you're down there with the natives and it's always nice to be able to, to communicate directly is always uh, an advantage and a nice feeling for sure yeah. i take i take that for granted sometimes <laughs> but yeah i just i enjoy speaking it as much as possible uh, we grew up speaking both at home and then I, I feel like I went to boot camp working at Macy's um, in South Florida where the everyone spoke Spanish. So all my clients, everyone who came into shop to buy makeup, I worked the Clinique counter mm. and it was 
oye, mija, 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 vente pa' acá. And I, so, I was like, well, I'm, my Spanish is going to get good today. The year, the, the time that I worked there um, before law school started was like my boot camp in Spanish, for sure. It became like my, I started thinking and dreaming in Spanish that whole period of time because it was just such the default. But then, yeah, coming out here, it's, I use it more sometimes with my clients even mm -hmm. than with like other individuals, like friends or colleagues. But then, With my mom and my grandma, I speak in Spanish with them a lot, and my dad, too. My dad's got that typical, like, Tony Montana Scarface accent <laughs> that I... Uh, that, so, <laughs> uh -huh. so his English is always kind of a, a fun experience to listen to, even though he's been here since he was 18. Mm. <laughs> It's still really rough. Well, I mean, my mom grew up in Louisiana, like I said, mm -hmm. then in, in Houston, And she's, you know, Anglo and has some Irish influences, but um, redhead, you know, <laughs> and uh, but she was very interested in Latino culture yeah. and what spent a year after graduation uh, from Texas in Nicaragua wow. in like the 60s. Like, you know, it's oh, a wow. pretty, that was, pretty heavy was a time. time. Yeah, <laughs> pretty heavy time. And uh, so she has always worked with uh, immigrant families and has mm -hmm. written some books on um education and immigrants and uh is a has kind of been committed to the latino culture you know her entire career in life and so growing up as well with you know both of those influences even yeah. though i'm a half breed so to speak you know, it's <laughs> like i've had the cultural influences from both sides that's awesome that's yeah. really cool that your mom really um found like a you know like a love for that and affinity for the culture and then it helps strengthen it for you. It's not just from your dad's side, right? Like she's constantly reinforcing it in her own ways, which is really nice, it sounds like. Well, and some of my earliest memories are traveling with them in Mexico for my mom's work, <laughs> for like for doing, I think her dissertation was on immigrant families from like Bejucos, you know, weird, oh, wow. weird places in Mexico that really were like, like real rural. Um, and we were, I just remember traveling in some of those places and just, you know, floods in Mexico or, you know, mm -hmm. mountainsides and getting, you know, Mexican hot chocolate in the <laughs> mountains and, you know, just random that's little a, memories that's that, really cool. that are filled mostly from her work and doing, mm -hmm. you know, f and then even in, um, in Texas, a lot of her work involved very low income immigrant families, like, you mm -hmm. know, families that were. 15 to a room you know one yeah. house and like the smells that you would go you know go into those families and it's just they're cooking rice and beans mm -hmm. or you know whatever <laughs> this, those smells just stick with me yes. so it's like i'll walk into like the back of a mexican restaurant and it'll just like take me back to like you know some of those yeah. houses that i visited with my mom back in the day so oh, wow that's such an interesting like that's cool i've never i haven't had the opportunity to really travel like that so and i've never been to cuba so it's definitely something i would I would love to be able to visit more countries and have those experiences and also just go to Cuba one day. I Are don't know. you barred from going or is it? So, yeah, there's allegedly there's there's like concern that if you go and they know that your parents were Cuban and left, you could have issues either getting in or getting out. Yeah. So we have that kind of shared concern about, well, will we get <laughs> will we be able to leave? Will we even be let in? Um, I know like it's it's. It's an interesting dynamic. Like for my dad, he has no desire to go back. He's yeah. like, they sent me, you know, they <laughs> told me to kick rocks, sent me packing with the shirt on my back. I don't have any reason to go back there. And, you know, my mom and my grandmother, they uh, they fled domestic violence from my grandfather. So they come with like a different perspective. And so for them, they do want to go back and see it and kind of visit where they were my my grandma would love to see our family was really rural and really poor um 
Like we were, <laughs> like she always says, we were the country bumpkins of Cuba. <laughs> wow. So she's like, I want to see the farm that Papa, you know, worked on. And I'm like, oh, like that would be nice for my grandma to see. But I don't, I don't know if that'll be a thing, honestly. And it's unfortunate. Um, it's a really interesting dynamic, the the Cuban experience, I would say. And it's just another thing that kind of shows like how we're not a monolith as a community. And it's really hard to kind of categorize Hispanics as no. like this all-encompassing thing when we're all really so different. Um, I'll do a little background just so we can hit some of our history. Yeah. Just since I promised, you know, our loyal listeners that we were going <laughs> to do that. Um, so like you had mentioned at the beginning, it is funny. It's like a September 15th to October 15th. Um, there's kind of a, a little stereotypical joke that like most Hispanics, it gets in late and it leaves late. And that's <laughs> why it goes 15 to 15. <laughs> and, you know, the whole goal was, is to really celebrate the histories, cultures, and contributions of American citizens whose ancestors came from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, Central and South America. And that was kind of like the historical basis for it. And it started in 68 as a week under uh, Lyndon Johnson. And then uh, Reagan in 88 expanded it to that 30 day period. Um, And it was actually enacted into law August 17th, 1988. Apparently, the reason why September 15th is the significant day and why it starts then is not because they're calling us running late, uh, but uh, it's because it is the anniversary of independence for certain Latin American countries like Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. And then Mexico and Chile celebrate their Independence Day September 16th and 18th. And then you also have Dia de la Raza on, on October 12th which kind of still falls in that 30-day period. So I was really kind of, I guess, some of that historical background on Hispanic Heritage Month there. Um, I've noticed that we've both used Hispanic and Latino kind of interchangeably. And um, I want to talk about that a little bit too with you. So from your perspective, like, what is your understanding or what? which do you use? What do you prefer? I use Latino more. I think Hispanic is more of a kind of a government created, uh, you know, census type uh, data question. (laughs) And, you know, maybe my mom would probably get mad at me. She's a sociologist and does a lot on race and ethnicity. So I don't know exactly if Hispanic is, you know, more on the race side or ethnicity side. But Mm -hmm. um, for me, Latinos just kind of feels more like my word, you know, like yeah. a community word as opposed to Hispanic just seems kind of official, you know, yeah. in, some case, in some way. Definitely. But um, I can understand why, you know, people would call themselves either one. I don't I, I don't get offended by someone calling right, yeah. Hispanic <laughs> or, or, you know, Latino, whatever you want to say. But um, then obviously the Latinx is the next, mm-hmm. you know, level of, you know, because I can appreciate the masculine feminine distinction there yeah. and, and wanting to be more, uh, inclusive and so that's you know sometimes I forget to to use that in, in a lot of conversations but um, it's important to think keep in mind and to think mm-hmm. about that as well definitely I always find that to be interesting because you've got some um, academic I feel like linguist kind of diehards who argue that in the Spanish language it's already gender neutral mm. when you use the masculine which mm. is kind of like well do you hear what you're saying though that the masculine is the neutral mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> so you're saying the masculine is the default yep you kind of proved my point <laughs> you know, so even that argument for me kind of fails I get where they're coming from in terms of like oh well formally according to linguistics but I don't I don't necessarily agree in that sense. I, I, I don't have, I don't take qualms with being called either. Um, 
Hispanic or Latino or Latinx, or I think even some people are using Latine, like just with the E at the end with the little acento. So I think it's constantly evolving. And I think my my perspective is just be aware and be considerate of the people you're with. And if they tell you, try to remember, right? Like kind of yeah. yeah. <laughs> like with pronouns, if you don't know, don't assume. But once they tell you, try, please remember, <laughs> like, you know, stuff like that, where just not assuming and taking a, that one step, that one second to be a little more thoughtful and considerate can make a huge difference in one's interaction with somebody that it's not always easy to remember to do, but hopefully we all continue to try to do that <laughs> as people, right? right but yeah just i mean even throughout you know my life there's been always so many different names tejano chicano you know hispanic latino you know mexican yeah mexicano. well and a lot of people don't even like to be hispanic or latino they'll tell you i'm chicano exactly. they'll tell you i'm cuban yep. and they're like were you born there no but i'm cuban you know <laughs> <laughs> so like that's that's pretty common like growing up in miami we're you know a lot of us are first generation mm-hmm. but you know, what's that thing? Ni de aquí, ni de allá. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like you're from here. and You don't feel like you're from there. And um, that's kind of something that I feel like is, is a, a common uh, experience for a lot of first generation Hispanic or Latinos. And they tend to kind of say, I'm this, even though this doesn't include the American part, which is technically where we were born for a lot of us. You know, <laughs> we just kind of like, yeah. forget, we're, I'm Cuban, <laughs> you know, or I'm Chilean, you know, or my friends that are Colombian that are like, no, I'm Colombian. I'm like, you were born in Hialeah Hospital, dude, you you know, so we're, the, but we're the same, right? In yeah. that sense of not even always identifying with that, that umbrella term, yep. you know, that is kind of sometimes doesn't always feel right. It doesn't always sit right. And I think it goes back to kind of what we were both saying. The government gave us that term. We didn't give ourselves that term. Um, I think one of the key distinctions, and I think why sometimes Latino or Latinx is favored more is because it focuses on the fact that you're from Latin America. So like Hispanic does not include non-Spanish speaking countries in Latin America, like Brazil, let's say. Mm. Um, But then Hispanic includes Spain. And there's a significant difference in being like a Spaniard and being Mexican or mm-hmm. Colombian or so, you know, there's, that's a really different experience and probably a very different treatment in culture. Right. I mean, if you're Spaniard, you're probably white. Right. Mm-hmm. And a white Hispanic doesn't have the same experience as like maybe um, a mixed Hispanic who either shows more prominently as either Afro-Latino or indigenous, and they present quite differently and have really different life experiences. And so it just feels really different to use Hispanic versus Latino sometimes because, you know, Latino will include, it focuses on Latin America, which is usually who we're talking about when we have these conversations. You know, when we're talking about disparate impacts on the Hispanic community, we're not including Spaniards <laughs> in that conversation, <laughs> right? Yeah, so I think it's one of those kind of funny things that maybe will continue <laughs> to evolve, right, in terms of like which words get used. So, Carlos, I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I know we briefly mentioned the NL Hardin event that uh, took place this year, and we didn't have a, a, our normal formal banquet in January for the Hispanic Bar Association. So give us a little a little kind of like insight as to what led to the Hardin and, you know, are we going to be seeing it again or is it coming back or? Yeah, no, I thought El Hardin was really successful. I mean, it was really nice. It just felt kind of Latino, you know, Mm -hmm. being outside and, you know, networking and, you know, having everyone together again and just in that beautiful space, you know, Botanic Gardens just, you know, just felt really kind of part of us in some respects. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I do think we are going to do something very similar, maybe in a, 
you know, new format, but at the Botanical Gardens next year, probably Yay. around the uh, same time in terms of late August, September, maybe kind of Hispanic heritage style. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, keep keep an eye out. Hopefully, more people can be involved. Uh, we had to, you know, we had we sold out El Jardín. Yeah. You know, it was a high demand event, and uh, we unfortunately had to turn people away. So wow. um, next year, hopefully, we can do almost like a blend of the El Jardín and banquet maybe together into one event. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the direction we're headed right now and maybe kind of bigger, badder, better. That's so exciting. Um, but still keep the kind of same feel of being at the gardens and having networking and a lot of, you know, a lot of time to see each other as opposed to just sitting down, listening to people talk. So. Definitely. I think uh, I'm a huge fan of how we did, how the, the EC did the NL Hardin event. It was beautiful. It was really intimate. And I think uh, scaling it up, but keeping that kind of intimacy in terms of being able to mingle and communicate is is gonna just be great and i think it was a huge success you're right it sold out mad quick and it was people had people didn't want to leave i could tell that they were starting to like uh-huh. clean up oh, yeah, <laughs> people are cleaning up the staff is looking at us and we're just all still hanging out like the bar had already closed like half an hour before well, <laughs> and and jess and i went back like two days later to the botanic gardens because it's so beautiful that time of year it really is the gardens at that time of year is like peak gorgeous mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. So that was that. Yeah, that was a great event. I look forward to seeing it, like you said, bigger and badder next year. But uh, I think that's going to be a really nice tradition that hopefully all of our sister organizations can continue to support. And then uh, in terms of Chaba and Hispanic Heritage Month, I know we talked a little bit about Raices um, at the beginning of the month. But what do we got? What are we looking at for the second half? Yeah, we're looking at a couple more events in late September, October. Um, I know you're thinking about doing something mm-hmm. at La Rumba and hopefully that will uh, <laughs> pan out and we'll get everybody uh Notice out to everybody to get their dancing shoes on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, AJ Martinez and the Young Lords Division mm-hmm. is, uh, are planning a, another event at some point, and uh, hopefully we'll get together and have a similar feel. So That'll be awesome. That'll be a lot of fun. And uh, usually those kind of things go out in the loop, those announcements, but uh, they can also check, what's the website again? chba.net? That's right. Awesome. Yep. So yeah, check it out. Be in the loop. Ping it on your radar, however you want to call it, to not forget that there'll be more events towards the end of Hispanic Heritage Month. And uh, this is going to be kind of our uh, weekly question here that I'm going to do to our guests. And so, Carlos, you'll be the first one to get to answer it. So I'll be, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully listeners be gentle. Uh, so, Carlos, you know, I know this is a loaded question, but what does being Hispanic mean to you? It's a good question. It's a tough question. I mean, uh, you know, growing up, Hispanic, I think it was definitely community and you know, culture. Those are the things that come to mind right away is just, you know, family, community, culture. When I think about being Hispanic, I think about my grandparents and family traditions and getting mm-hmm. together for, you know, asados and, and family gatherings at the restaurant that my grandparents mm-hmm. owned. We were always there at, uh, you know, ordering off the, the menu that my grandparents put together. <laughs> you know, it was like great moles and all kinds of tapakenias, steaks and all kinds of enchiladas and stuff like that. So food, culture, community, family, um, you know, it's an, it, it is an identity, right? It's mm-hmm. like definitely influences who you are as a person in terms of growing up in that kind of cultural uh, spirit, if you will. So mm-hmm. I think being Hispanic to me is just all of those things that kind of come out in various ways, whether or not it's, you know, a love for travel in the Americas or a love for the music of the Americas or mm-hmm. a love for the food of the Americas. It just all comes out in that yeah. kind of unique way. And then I do think 
family is very important. Um, you know, family gatherings, community, mm-hmm. having people like I'm, I think my household growing up was always a very welcoming household. You yeah. know, friends, family, everyone yeah. come together for meals or parties or whatever. And I think that's the same way that I hope my household is in terms of mm-hmm. very welcoming and you know the more the merrier kind of vibe yeah. in terms of, you know, whether it's my kids, friends, my friends, my wife's friends, you know, everyone come over, have some brisket, you know, yeah, some yeah. good enchiladas or whatever <laughs> and come together over food and, and tequila or whatever. It is. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up. Yeah, I definitely, I agree. I think that's, that's a great answer. You nailed it. I'll be very curious to see what everybody's answers are, especially yeah. if they, you know, have their own thoughts on, what it means to be Hispanic. I think we'll have a really fun, uh, broad spectrum of answers that'll probably have some commonalities to them, but that's just my guess. Well, Carlos, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. I think uh, we got a little bit of history in there, but we also talked a lot about, you know, let the community get to know you and know our future Hispanic bar president and what we're looking to do, not just this month, but, you know, in the months ahead. And I really thank you for your time. Thank you, Annie. I really appreciate it. Bienvenidos, a CBA DBA limited series podcast celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month has been brought to you by the Colorado and Denver Bar Associations. On behalf of your host, Annie Martinez, thank you for listening. Gracias por acompañarnos hoy.